I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. And I'm Jeff Umbrell. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. Today, we tackle the Fordham community's reaction to the Kavanaugh confirmation with Courtney Brogel. Then, we speak with Brittany Murphy, who plays the lead in Fordham Theater's production of Antigonic. We also talk to Luke Osborne about eating disorders among queer men. Today with Courtney Brogel, the arts and culture editor. Thank you for being here, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me. So nice to be here. Can you talk a little bit about the collaboration that took place between Fordham Law and undergraduate groups like Cars V in order to organize the Kavanaugh walkout? Sure. So uh, a group of Fordham Law students, they got together, um, a bunch of year three students, and within a couple of days they were able to come together and uh, organize a protest on campus and Cars V ultimately did become involved did get involved because it's one of the only organizations on campus that helps survivors of assault so students like Gabriella Ramos King and Eliza Putnam also spoke at the event and it was kind of a rally geared towards survivors of assault as well as allies for those who have been assaulted knowing that just kind of saying that Regardless of what happens with the Supreme Court hearing, there are people that do believe you and your stories are valid, um, which I think was a really important thing to to talk about, especially because Kavanaugh, as we all know now, was selected for the Supreme Court. So regardless of the outcome of events, I think that having this protest was still really important. So in the article, you give multiple examples of cases of sexual misconduct that were poorly handled by the university. Do you think that in light of the protests and the Kavanaugh confirmation that Fordham is going to do anything to change its approach to issues like that? Maybe I'm an optimist and I'd like to say yes, but I mean given Fordham's history it is hard to say because you know we are currently dealing with the Jaworski scandal in the philosophy department, but even as not far back, but even as recently as the 90s um, Deal Hudson, who was a former professor here, sexually assaulted and raped a young woman who was very, in a very vulnerable position, and he was allowed to quietly exit the university in a much more graceful manner than perhaps he deserved given the, the circumstances of the situation, whereas the student in question eventually did leave Fordham. And I think that there's a complicated relationship that the university has with its Jesuit values because it does uphold a lot of a lot of ideals that Jesuits hold near and dear. But at the same time, sometimes the it, it gets complicated and muddied with university professors who, to my knowledge, do not have to uphold these values themselves, like within a classroom setting. But it it is problematic, and as we as I listen to students like Lyra Witte, uh, who is a Fordham Law student, and Eliza Putnam, who is a Fordham undergrad, I believe is a senior, Fordham still has a lot of ways to go in terms of how they handle sexual misconduct allegations within their staff. Can you speak a little bit about the tone and atmosphere of the walkout? It was a really, really 
empowering experience. Um, we were there for a very serious topic and a very serious uh, moment in American history. So I wouldn't say that people were, were jumping up and down and were very excited and they were like, oh my gosh, going to the protest on campus, you know, to be trendy and cool. People were there for a specific reason. So it was really empowering and really cool to see a lot of people there so passionate about the, the issue at hand. And it was a very diverse population that came because I saw a lot of teachers, a lot of professors, um, a couple of members of the administration, um, a lot of undergrad students, both male and female and of all um, sexualities, genders, creeds, races, you know. Hi, I'm Gabriela Ramos-King. I am the vice president of the undergrad organization at LC, the Coalition Against Relationship and Sexual Violence, also known as CARS-V. It can be really hard to feel valued as survivors. And again, and again, and again, and again, we are told that we are not valued. And, you know, part of our mission here is yes, to get Kavanaugh to go and to get abusers to go, but also to create a culture that recognizes and supports survivors. And that's what we're doing here. We're not here just to, It was a really powerful moment to see so many people come together just realizing that what Kavanaugh stands for does not reflect the changing American values that we currently value and uphold here on campus. Um, so it was a really, really cool experience that I had never seen before. What do you think would be some productive ways for the university to you know, improve communications and relations with students in light of the Kavanaugh saga? That one's tricky because we've also talked in e-board meetings about the ways that Fordham communicates with its students. And they send a lot of these mass emails that can kind of either clutter your inbox because they're sending emails about a lot of different national topics or it's like a wasteland and you don't hear anything from them at all, which by the way, they never issued any sort of a statement regarding Kavanaugh's imminent appointment. So it's kind of complicated and you could also say, well, we could have, you know, student rallies with Fordham administration. We could have sit down discussions. But as we saw with the provost position, a lot of people don't know how to interact with the administration or they don't want to or they don't fully understand what's happening and they so they don't know how to articulate their thoughts so that doesn't seem to be as effective either and i think that when students do come forward with allegations i think that they need to be handled a lot differently than they have in the past like as we saw with the deal hudson situation in the 90s i don't think that that was handled properly at all because the administration told the student in question that oh it's okay everything will be taken care of we believe you we support you 100%, but don't tell any of your other students, uh, don't tell any of your peers what's happening with the situation. So she had to deal with this burden um, all on her own. Um, and then they allowed him to exit the way that he did. And he went on to have the prolific political career that he did. And we can't say the same for that student at Fordham. Um, and just lastly, what does it mean for the protest and those who helped organize it, you know, that Kavanaugh did end up being confirmed and how are these people going to move forward? That's a really good question. I think that 
the important thing that especially was evident at the walkout is that the slacktivism needs to stop. Um, you can't just sit and say, we need to enact change and then close the book. Um, I think that students who especially were at the rally have proven that that's no longer an effective way to just sit and tweet and think we've solved the issue because that's not how it works. Um, and I think that, you know, we have to continue to fight to make our voices heard and make it so that men like Kavanaugh don't have the opportunity to be appointed to the Supreme Court again. Thank you so much for joining us today, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me. I'll see you guys at eBoard on Monday. <laughs> joining us next is Brittany Murphy. Thanks for being here, Brittany. Good to be here. So, what went into the process of of choosing to do you know this mo this modern translation and take a nick instead of just the original play? Like, yeah, I, I think Anne Carson's version is definitely more pointed and more poignant, which could be a lot more helpful in today's age with everything <laughs> a lot more poignant and yeah. in your face <laughs> and the subtext often getting lost. <laughs> Can you just explain some of the main? differences between the original play and the one you guys are putting on? So this play was truly written as a graphic novel. So like every scene has like some form of illustration or some form of like like paint splotch or something that shows like the emotion mm -hmm. of the play. So Antigonic is almost like encompassing everything of Antigone, like the emotions, the subtext, how it comes into today's world rather than just the play. So like Eurydice's monologue. Eurydice does have one monologue in the original Antigone, though in this monologue, Eurydice's monologue begins with, this is Eurydice's monologue. <laughs> it is her only text in the play. So it's, it's more so pointing out the political points that could be seen through Antigone in today's world. So let's, let's talk a little bit about how it's relevant to today's world. So obviously very recently there was the Senate confirmation hearing for Judge, now Justice, Brett Kavanaugh. How do you think that art like Antigonic helps sort out the issues that we face today? I think Antigonic's overall theme, overall message, overall thing that we want the audience to be left with is you have a choice. You have a choice as a community. You have a choice as an individual being. You have a choice to condone things, to do things, to act upon things. Uh, within the whole speech of people want to see their lives on stage, look at me. You're literally watching me go to my death. You're watching the injustice happen, and you're letting it happen. And I end the speech with who suffers more. And I take that as I go now, but who's next? What happens next? And I think what anyone could get from Antigonic is you are the ruler of your own fate, your own identity, your own actions. Even if you can't change, I don't know, the world, you can change your, your way of thinking. You can change the way you talk to people. You can change your ballot, if need be. <laughs> like, it's like elections are coming up. Everyone should be registering to vote. Everybody should be researching who they want to represent them and who they believe's ideals represent humanity, not just our legislation. Can you speak a little bit about your experience working on the set with the rest of the cast and crew? Rebecca Romano is, 
She is truly like a device theater director. You can see it in the way she speaks. You can see it in the way she talks, the way she speaks with the actors as well as the crew. Um, it's very what what do you want to get out of this? What do you want to explore? What do you want to expand upon? What can we maybe do more of? What can we do less of? Um, it was a very, I would say an enriching process. I come from devised work. I'm very like comfortable with devised work. It's a fun process of, I don't know, having a clean slate and being able to paint upon it in whatever way with whatever colors and whatever textures and patterns you want to. Um, so, so she was a really amazing person to work with. Uh, the cast and crew, great. <laughs> I feel, I don't know, I've never had a bad experience with Fordham mm -hmm. cast and crew. Everyone's just as enthusiastic as about the play. Everybody is just as explorative. Um, it was a great process. Awesome, well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. For our next segment, we're here with Luke Osborne, the Observer's sports and health editor. So Luke, we're hoping if you, that you could just run us through the experience of what it's like for a queer man to have an eating disorder. There's quite a discrepancy between queer men and our heterosexual counterparts when it comes to eating disorders. And I think as queer men, we think about our bodies a lot more than heterosexual men because well, the sexual culture, in a way, kind of demands perfection of a lot of people. So gay men, I see, and especially me doing this, and on and at Fordham, too, curate their image a lot. And curating an image is, you know, it can be a good thing, it can be a productive thing. But um, what happens is that you can get very obsessive about it and you can get obsessive about certain parts of your body. And that's where I started talking about, you know, body dysmorphia, which is a precursor to eating disorder, disorders, and which I think is a little bit more prevalent in the gay community than full-blown eating disorders, just obsessing about a part of your body that you just can't get over. Can you talk to us a little bit about some specific examples of that, like anecdotally that you may have discovered in the queer male community? Well, yeah, one of my friends um, has an Equinox membership. And I think, especially in that kind of environment, he notices that like just walking around, like lifting weights or just trying to go about his workout, it's not really an isolated activity. You kind of always feel watched. And it's not even like he's asking to be watched or anything, whatever. Everybody is just looking at each other, the queer men in that environment. And he told me that there's some kind of competition that he feels, some unspoken competition that basically he has this subconscious desire to be a part of and to uh, master in some way. And what's really weird is that there is this pressure that comes from being watched and participating in the gay culture that I think leads to eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Can you just go give us a quick rundown of, of the kind of resources that Fordham and the the Counseling and Psychological Services Department offers to help students who may be struggling with eating disorders? Yeah, well, 
CPS offers a, well, there's the 10 week therapy thing, which is free, which Fordham offers. And it's a really cool thing. I've known a lot of people who go to it, not even just for eating disorders. Um, but they, a good thing about CPS is they really have a psychologist for everything. So for instance, Elizabeth Clark, she's really, her main focus is LGBT, LGBT issues and, um, kind of depression and anxiety that can come along with that. But beyond that, they have a lot of pam pamphlets and stuff. But I, the most effective thing would be the 10-week program that they have. Is there anything that you feel that Fordham could maybe be doing differently to offer better or more resources? Or do you think overall they're doing a good job? I think one thing Fordham could do is kind of, at Fordham Lincoln Center, is foster more of like community environment where people communicate more often because interestingly we go to a small school but it doesn't seem like we know everybody well one thing dr clark mentioned is that she said people shouldn't participate in the ideal body image and what she meant by that was she thinks that inclusivity and when you talk about not necessarily when you talk about who you find attractive, but when you talk about like what is attractiveness or what attractiveness is limited to, she says it's good to kind of keep an open mind about that and not make it about these discrete things that only apply to one type of person. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Luke. Thanks, guys. This has been episode two of Retrospect. I'm Jeff Umbral. And I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. Until next time. <laughs>